Hello, this is Wayne Gurnick from Moments by Wayne, and today I'm speaking with Joan Summerfield, and Joan is a very accomplished wedding and event planner in Israel, and we'll be talking about pretty much everything that there is to do with weddings and special events, bar and bat mitzvahs, and the like in Israel. Welcome, Joan. How are you doing today? Well, I'm great. Thank you, Wayne, although it's unseasonably cold in Israel, so we all feel like hibernating a bit. Well, I know that the weather... The weather will definitely change. It'll warm up, I'm sure, before a very short time. Um, so what I'd like to do first to kick this off is to have you tell me a little bit about you. You know, we have a very broad range of people that listen to these um, conversations, and I'd like to start off, you know, having you talk a little, about, a little bit about who you are and what you've done and um, why you decided to become a wedding planner. Okay. Well, I kind of fell into it, really, because um, I started off life in Israel, and I emigrated here in 1993, in producing promotional publications on organizing weddings in Israel. And I made a lot of very valuable contacts. And then I actually realized that there was not many people here who could help people, couples from overseas, who wanted to organize their wedding in Israel. And when I was in England, I'd organized many, many charity events very successfully, and it was something I absolutely loved. So I felt that I had the experience and the contacts and felt very competent to do so. And it actually, I started very small, and it grew very rapidly. Wow. And so... So what were you doing before you were doing wedding planning and event planning? Well, as I said, I was producing these uh, publications on organizing weddings in Israel. They are more um, advertising consumer publications, you know, telling people which uh, photographer to use, which wedding hall, and so forth. Um, and that's when I was in, in what's when I came to Israel. When I was in England, I was also into publications and um, various different things from being an HR manager to working in the film industry. So I've had a very varied, very varied background. That's fantastic. I find that um, those people that, uh, that come from different areas that end up doing what I call landing in the wedding world have uh, an incredible appreciation for the creative side as well as the business side. I think it takes, you know, a lot of people think about the wedding world as being very creative, but I also think that there is an important business knowledge that is needed by each person that works in the wedding space. Oh, totally. I mean, you need to be very organized, and actually you need to be a troubleshooter as well, actually. As I'm sure you know, you need to recognize problems before they start, and I think you can only do that from having been in the business world. Absolutely. So what would you say is the best thing, the best aspect of having a wedding in Israel? And and we'll talk about, you know, all different aspects of weddings, but specifically also maybe a destination wedding because most of the people that are going to listen um, to this discussion from our website and from, you know, are from the U.S., so they would be considering doing a destination wedding in Israel. 
Okay, well, how much time have we got? Because I love Israel and I love making events here, and I think it must be one of the best places because, first of all, we've got amazing weather here, well, which contradicts what I said at the beginning, but uh, the beautiful weather starts in May and uh, goes through to October, actually, so we've got many months of sunshine. So, you know, events can be held quite easily outside knowing that there won't be any rain and another factor of course is we've got such a beautiful country with so many amazing diverse locations and you can get you can have a ceremony or a party in the desert you can have it by the sea if you want a spiritual touch to your events you can do it in the old city of jerusalem or in nazareth or by the sea of galilee um I've even made an event in a cave, actually. That's so, amazing. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. <clears throat> well, it was actually a bar mitzvah, and yeah. they wanted something very different. It was in the Red Sea Resort of Elat, which is blessed with good weather, actually, most of the year. And it was an enormous cave, which was like a blank canvas, if you like. So we had to design it and decorate it and get musicians sitting on the roof of the cave so to greet guests as they came in. It was quite awesome. That sounds amazing. You know, I (laughs) know that in in the past we've had discussions and you've sent me some pretty amazing images of different locations and we will definitely be posting some of those um, when it goes live. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about travel to Israel. I, I know that there's diversity in the locations, um, you know, weddings in old historic areas versus contemporary areas. What does what is a typical location look like? What hmm. is, That's a really difficult question. I was going to say, give us. A, I'm sorry to interrupt. Give us a visual, a visual by words so that we can imagine, you know, whether it's romantic or whether it's contemporary. Give us that little... Okay. Well, let's take a wedding by the sea where you can have um, the canopy, the wedding ceremony, timed so that it's held by the sea as the sun goes down in the background. So you've got this beautiful beautiful red sunset in the background I mean so romantic you've got the sound of the waves as a couple are getting married and the reception's also usually held outside and um, then quite often we have the dinner and dancing inside where we have air conditioning and we can decorate it to any theme anybody wants um, from uh, from the seven nights uh, and to something very um, tech, techno, techni, is that the word? <laughs> yeah, um, contemporary or, or, yeah. Yeah, so, um, or if we have it in the desert, it's something entirely different because it's quite awesome. You have to set up the whole location from start to finish. You have to even bring in um, mobile toilets. Um, which actually are very luxurious. Some of them even have DVDs in them. Um, and you have to set up the lighting and the stage. 
But can you imagine coming along in a convoy of cars or coaches, pitch black, and suddenly the lights go on and you've got this awesome setting in front of you? It's, it's, it's like a grand reveal of a space that, that upon first arrival you can't see and then all of a sudden exactly. it's revealed to you. How dramatic exactly. and incredible. Because quite often we don't even tell clients where they're, well, the couple obviously know, but the guests don't know where they're going to. So there's, wow, there's such a wow factor in that. Right. Pretty amazing. And I would imagine that it would be an amazing experience for people to come to the desert rather than be at a hotel or at a wedding venue. In fact, most people opt away from hotels because... In a hotel ballroom, you could be actually anywhere in the world. So that's why most people tend to have their weddings from May to October, so they can take advantage of one of the most beautiful, some of the most beautiful locations that we've got here. Um, incredible. I've, I've organized, uh, for instance, going back to Ilat, where I said the cave was, um, there's these the beautiful mountains in the background which turn pink as the sun sets. So you've got this romantic aspect as well. Um, sounds, but it also, sounds magical. Oh, it is. That's. I mean, I absolutely love doing events in places like this because to see the people's faces and, you know, to realize that you've actually achieved this for them, it's the most amazing feeling. Right. So, Joan, what is the typical wedding that you handle like? Is it large? Is it small? Is it you know, overly decorated? Is it understated? <laughs> okay, well, I've organized uh, weddings in a church for just the couple and a few friends to a grand wedding, which is not so grand by Israeli standards. I mean, Israelis actually can have parties up to a 1,000 people. But when I have destination weddings, clients from overseas, the maximum is usually three to 400 people. Mm-hmm. And... It depends on the location, whether it's going to be very grand or understated. For instance, we've got a beautiful forest, which is uh, not far from Tel Aviv. And there we like to keep to nature. So the table settings are even in, in keeping with the surroundings. You know, we have herbs and plants on the tables and people dancing under the trees. So it, it very much depends on the location. Uh, there's one particular location um, which is one of the most popular and one of the most expensive, of course, um, which is enormous, enormous, and it has its own private lake with um, a, a bridge going over the lake to a small island where the couple can get married, and it's got an amphitheater. I mean, it's, so there you have to spend quite a lot on the design to make it live up to its uh, to what to what you can achieve there. It sounds sounds spectacular. Yes, um, it is. You, can you talk a little bit about? There's a couple things you know the technical side of what we do, and one of the the most important things that most clients are interested to know is about budget. Um, yeah. So yeah. there. Is there a um, sweet spot as far as what brides and grooms and their families should be thinking about for budgeting for a destination wedding in Israel? Yeah, well, leaving aside the flight and the hotel accommodation, because that's as, 
you know, the hotels can be as basic or as expensive as you like. But if you're take, talking about the catering and mm -hmm. the hire of the yeah. venue and photography, you know, so forth, we're talking about $200 per person. That includes um, absolutely everything. And that um, would allow you to that would allow you to get um, both beautiful decor and and great food and um, entertainment for the evening. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but if we're talking, say, of a small intimate party, say in a restaurant, that can be say fifty dollars a person. I mean, it can go up, of course. You know, the sky's the limit. Depends on on what you add to it, and the, usually the decoration is the most expensive. It can be the most expensive. Right, and I'm, I'm the first to say that budgets are a very interesting um, thing to, to discuss. The, the topic of budgets are very interesting to discuss because in today's environment with websites such as Pinterest and you know all of the social media, it's easy to pull up images of things that a bride or groom would like without mm -hmm. them knowing what it costs to accomplish that particular look. So oftentimes we have clients coming to us and saying, oh my gosh, here are five pictures and if I could have these, I would just be in heaven. And then I start <laughs> explaining what happens when you light a particular space or you bring in you know, certain rental items and what it does to that budget. And sure. their eyes start rolling because they had no idea what things cost. Yeah. Well, I often find that people go over their budget anyway because once they see a location and they've got this dream in their mind, they're prepared to spend just that little bit more to achieve that dream. But what we try and do is to show them something comparable but not as expensive. So there's always solutions. Absolutely. And then it's their decision as to whether they want to spend a little more or or, you know, pull back in order to do other things. I'm I'm exactly. a realist when it comes to budgets and so, you know, I don't necessarily always make friends because I advise people <laughs> in certain areas not to spend money because I think, you know, there are areas in in our wedding environment where it can look as though you're just throwing money at things to make well know. to make it a show yeah rather than i mean most some of the most successful weddings i've done are very understated because what comes through is the love and happiness and i think that's a really important thing and i want you to repeat that again say it again <laughs> so that our listeners that is so important um, Oh, totally. As I said, I think the most important part of any event, any occasion, is the love and happiness that's generated by the couple and the guests. And if the couple are relaxed and happy and showing their love for each other, it reverberates through all the party and all the guests are happy and relaxed. I've always said that there's no correlation between the amount a bride and groom or their families. <laughs> I mean, we keep mentioning bride and groom, but oftentimes yeah, the wedding yeah. can be, you know, paid for and put on by parents too. Sure, sure, of there's course. no correlation between the amount of money that is spent and the amount of joy at a wedding. 
Oh, you can have 100%. You can 100%. have a room filled with a bunch of people that are disconnected and not interested and there's no real joy there, but you can have the prettiest decor. And then you can have the opposite where, you know, a client, for whatever reason, by choice or by budget or whatever, chooses not to do much decor and not much entertainment, but yet there's so much joy and love in a space. And, oh, uh, wonderful. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I, there's one particular wedding that I can remember. Sometimes people here get married on a Friday morning, which actually is cheaper. And this particular wedding was held in an art gallery, and yeah. the food was just passed around. It was finger food. It was lunch, but it was finger food. And we had a group playing desert music, and the uh, canopy was held by four friends. And afterwards, people said to me, it was one of the most beautiful weddings they've been to because the love of everybody for this couple just shone through. Yes, it is and, pretty incredible. And I also advise um, clients that they should not, that when they're looking at their guest list, they should not invite anyone out of obligation because chances yeah. are those people will come out of obligation and they're going to be a little disconnected. And I think it's important to have everyone there be emotionally attached to totally. the immediate family and the bride and groom. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you can tell when that happens, actually. You can tell when people have had to invite people and they don't know anybody. And so the atmosphere is kind of spoiled by that. Absolutely. You're you're 100% right. So we're going to turn the corner and go in a little different direction now. Um, okay. Specifically on the topic of licenses and permits, you know, your website um, provides some incredible information and a link to um, a brochure that I believe provides all the information as far as yeah. licenses and yeah. permits and all of that. So yeah. first mm -hmm. of all, on behalf of, of the world at large, I thank you for posting <laughs> that information because it, it's a great resource. And I think that you provide enough so that people know that you're knowledgeable about what it takes to do a wedding in Israel. And it would prompt you know, many people that are interested in coming to Israel for their wedding to contact you and know that they've got an expert. So uh, on the topic of licenses and permits, how easy is it and how, what are the challenges? Um, <laughs> and and <laughs> let's hear your take on all of that. Okay, well, let's just go forward for a minute and say that the bureaucracy in Israel can be daunting. So... Um, the couple, um, I'm, I'm talking about weddings here, of course, and this is right. directed at the Jewish community to start with. Um, they need to obtain from their rabbi a letter that states that they're Jewish and single and free to marry. And then they need to contact a rabbi. Oh, can I interrupt Sorry? you for one second? Sure. So when they obtain a letter from a rabbi, is there a difference between... For example, I'm based in, in Los Angeles, and we have yeah. rabbis at, at um, Orthodox temples. We have rabbis at conservative temples. We have rabbis at Reform temples at all different levels of religious 
um, observance, if that's the right term. Right. I yeah, yeah, use. yeah, yeah. Is there um, is there a difference when they bring a letter from a different observant rabbi? Um, well, I know that in England, in England, there's an actual uh, organization called the Beth Din that people have to go through. And I know in per- certain parts of America, there's also this rabbinical council that right. provides the letters. So um, what I do, fast-forwarding again, is to put the couples in touch with an organization called ITIM, I-T-I-M for mother, um, which actually guides the couples through all the bureaucracy in Israel. I used to do this myself. I used to help the couples, and I would go to the uh, local office of the rabbinical council, which is the religious council in Israel, and the bureaucracy could be so daunting. They would come. I'd manage to solve one problem, then they'd come back with another. So to solve all this stress, I, we just hand this over to this organization, who are amazing, amazing, and they know all the loopholes. They have all the contacts to be able to process everything smoothly. That's fantastic so, that you have an organization that, that does that. Is there a fee? Well, they like ask for a donation. I mean, it's not obligatory. Um, I usually suggest $250. Okay. Which, but so that's, that's a very, in my mind, that's a very small amount to... Um, you know, to devote towards getting a marriage license in Israel rather than having to spend all the time running around and educating, you know, each bride and groom having to educate themselves on what the guidelines are and who to speak to and how to handle it. I think it's well, phenomenal that there's that organization that... Yeah, because that, there's so many diverse couples, you know, one may have been married, one, uh, there's just so many different situations, and I'm not religious, I'm not, yeah, I'm not um, authorized enough to be able to handle all the different aspects, and uh, that's why you need an organization like that who, who's been, who, who knows who to contact and how to process it. You know, you have to know who to go to, really. Right. And and what about those people that are not Jewish? Um yeah, people well, of other ethnicities and other religions. How did they sure. handle it? Well, they would need to be able to con depends on their denomination because right. um I've had this in the past where I've had to hunt for a appropriate minister for that appropriate denomination. So um, you're kind of a little bit limited here, but there are, I mean, there's churches all over the country. It's just matching people up to the appropriate church. Okay. So it is So it is definitely a possibility, um, and, you know, I think that that's an amazing thing that many people don't know about is that you don't have to be Jewish to get married in Israel. Oh, absolutely. No, I've... I've uh, I've organized Christian weddings here, which have been gorgeous. That's fantastic. So let's also talk a little bit about ceremonies. And um, I'm, as, I'm, excuse me, we spoke about ceremonies <laughs> as far as the uh, license and permits. What I wanted to talk about was 
Um, I wanted you to discuss with me a little bit about kosher versus non-kosher, dietary restrictions, and what you're seeing happening um, for weddings. Um, do what do our listeners need to know about food service? Well, it's got very exciting here, actually. But before I tell you about that part, um, most of the caterers actually in Israel are kosher, and. Whereas kosher used to equate with boring, now it's really on a par with the top restaurants in the world. A lot of the chefs either train or visit um, restaurants or caterers overseas to obtain better knowledge of, of food. And of course, because we've got so much of a diverse culture, you know, everybody's an immigrant basically in Israel. So right. everybody brings their, their ethnic food with them. Um, so food here, it, it can be wonderful. Um, and actually, in order for a Jewish couple to be married officially, their caterer has to be kosher. Otherwise, it's not recognized. Ah, oh, um, I didn't know that. That's very interesting. Yes, yes, yes. We have to actually provide uh, the certificate to show that they are kosher. Well, um, it, there certainly are differences between the U.S. and Israel in that regard because um, most hotels or most um, caterers here are not necessarily kosher. Um, oh, right. And so the challenge here is that if you if you want to have kosher food service and you are at a hotel or at a location that does not have a kosher caterer, you have to spend considerably more money in order to bring in a kosher caterer. Right, right, right. Well, actually, even in hotels uh, which have their own kosher catering, uh, practically all the hotels in Israel, practically all of them, not all of them, um, are kosher. Um, but sometimes people still like to bring in, to upgrade their menu, if you like, upgrade the food. And we can bring in outside kosher caterers um, because we've got most amazing caterers here in the country. Um, and we've got very exciting ways of serving food. I, I'm not sure what it's like in America, but um, a lot of couples here choose buffet-style menus because that really showcases the abundance and variety of food here. So, you know, you'd have lots of different options available, chicken, meat, fish, Chinese, Indian, vegetarian. And the latest trend here is something called a restaurant style, which is a little bit more formal because each guest has their own menu and they can order from the waiter whatever they like. They can start off with lamb chops, go on to steak, go on to fish, you know, eat as much as they want, but it's in a more formal setting. That's fantastic. And is there an upcharge for that? Does it cost more than doing a buffet? A little bit more because you have to have more waiters in order. You know, we, one important thing for me, important aspect, is the ratio of waiters to guests. Because if the service is bad, it doesn't matter how good the food is. You know, if people are waiting in line or waiting to be served, it takes the edge off it. So the expense is for more caterers, which isn't huge, you know, but, it, yeah, it is, it is a little bit more expensive. Right. And, but another thing we also do quite often yeah. is to provide an after-party fund dish. When I say an after-party, 
We usually have a band till, say, midnight, then we change to a DJ. And at that time, we bring out maybe fish and chips, maybe mini beef burgers. And it always astounds me that people have eaten this huge meal and then they still devour this fish and chips as though they've not eaten anything all evening. Well, but I it think just the big, adds more I think fun that, to the evening. Yes, I think that the big hope is that as people eat their dinner, they're going to eventually get up and dance and work, yes. off that, work off that food and drink. And then exactly. when the DJ kicks in, they're ready to eat again because they've so-called <laughs> exercised in, in an yes. enjoyable way rather than standing on a treadmill. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's one thing actually about a party, about a wedding in Israel or bar mitzvah or whatever. After the formalities, it's one huge, enormous informal party and the atmosphere is just so exciting because we've got some of the best bands that you can imagine here right it's more of a it's more of a celebration i think um i think the celebration level is elevated there totally oh totally it's electric and i usually have to stop the wedding or party whatever at about two or three o'clock in the morning um, you know, they could go on all night, but we've usually got coaches booked or, you know, it's, or the location closes at three. Um, but it's definitely a very exciting party. Wow. It sounds amazing. So, so I, what are some of the things that you would like brides and grooms to know that they might not necessarily be able to find out through doing research on the Internet or through talking with others. You're on the ground in Israel. You know what goes on there. You know what the, the challenges are. You know the parts that are easy. What are those key things, in a nutshell almost, that, <laughs> that people should know in order to um, have an incredible experience? Well, I think they've got to, my, my initial advice would be to say to get an experienced, competent event organizer that they've got a rapport with um, because, and I think unless you live in the place, you really don't know who the best vendor is or who the best vendor would be for your occasion or if the location you're choosing is more of a factory, you know, one in and one out or if they pay specific attention to you. Um, for instance, I've had photographers that have turned up just at the last minute and have been first in line to get the food, so I'll never use them again, however good they are. And I think unless you know somebody here who's actually done events, it's very difficult to know that. Right. And, you know, I also, before the event, have... Um, a technical meeting with all the suppliers so that we cover every single aspect. There's no dead spots, if you like. Um, I'm, I'm actually not sure how a couple can organize an event from overseas, taking into account all the different aspects that you need to put together and coordinate and supervise. Right. You know, we have people that travel, clients, I should say, that travel from all over the U.S. to come to Los Angeles to get married. And right. I'm astounded at the fact that things are so different in different locations. 
and we have different restrictions. We have different um, guidelines um, than people do across our country. And then when you travel internationally, I think that there are different customs and there are different ways of working with services and <clears throat> excuse me, those people that are providing both products and services, whether it's a food, you know, contract. Oh, for or, sure. Well, and you made I a, think one of one, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go on, sorry, carry on. I was going to say you made a very good point about knowing who the different services are that are appropriate for a particular client. For example, the, the one that you chose to, to mention was, a photographer that's the first person in line at a buffet, that's something that I think is common across um, all locations and all countries is that you want your services to take a back seat to your guests. You don't want Absolutely. them jumping in line at a buffet table oh. or, you know, the first at a bar. First of all, we see this periodically and we stop them. And we make sure yeah, that yeah, yeah. they understand we have a separate room for them to eat and drink in, for them to sure. take their breaks, that they're not guests at this wedding. So well, I I've had coach drivers point. try to come into the wedding and eat the food with the guests. Yeah. So, you know, you have to be on top of it just to know, you know, who to, to send away again. And also, of course, the culture is very different here. Um, a lot of places don't understand the European or American, if you like, take on making events. Um, whereas here it can be very, very informal and, you know, ah, it'll be okay. That's the kind of attitude it could be. Um, you need somebody, shall I say like me, <laughs> who yes, knows absolutely. Uh, the standard that people are looking for. I think that's one of the most important aspects, actually, of making a wedding in another country. You need to know the culture, and you need to, know, to have somebody there who knows the culture of the country, but also the type of level of service and um, yeah, the level of service that you really want to attain at your function. So it's that, it's that person who can be the middle person between the country and location where the wedding is going to take place and what that culture is and blending sure. it with the culture of the client who's coming from a different place. Definitely. Definitely. I think that's a very important aspect, actually. And um, also the, the service providers here, the vendors, don't always dress smartly. You know, sometimes the photographers will come in a, oh, an old shirt and jeans you know, and I have to be very specific in telling them when you come to the wedding, I want you to look good. I want you to look nice. Um, and that's, you know, also something that people wouldn't even think of. Right. You'd automatically right. assume that they'd come dressed for the occasion. You've made some very, very good points. And I think that we've probably given more information than than, you know, brides and grooms can absorb in one sitting. <laughs> so I'm, so I'm going to and, and mention that you have given so much wonderful information, probably more than our listeners can absorb and understand at one time, mm -hmm. so hopefully they'll listen more than once and they'll pick up <laughs> what they need. But at this time, I need to wrap up a little, and I just, I always ask 
um, every person that does these um, segments with me, what what would you say are your wedding words of wisdom that you would like to leave our brides and grooms with? Okay, well, I would say that they should remember that as wonderful and as fabulous as a wedding day is, it's the beginning of their life together. It's not the one day. It's actually the start of their wonderful, hopefully long life together. And that they should try and relax and enjoy every minute of it, every minute of their day. And also that their guests, if something does perchance not happen or doesn't happen on the time that they planned, the guests won't know. The guests don't know what's supposed to happen. As long as the guests as a couple, as we said at the beginning really, are happy and relaxed and in love, this will come through and that's the most important part. Never mind if the flowers are not as red as they wanted or some of the decor isn't exactly what they wanted. Nobody else will notice that. Um, They just notice if you're happy and that's what makes the atmosphere. Well, I would tend to agree with you, and so I want to thank you so much, Joan, for taking this time to talk with me today and to educate the public about weddings and special events in Israel. Um, And to all of our listeners, I must say that Joan is an exceptional human being above and beyond um, what she does for organizing weddings. You can certainly check out um, Joan's website at, at um, let me get it right, at celebrations.co.il on the web. You can also know that her company name is Anglo-Israel Events, so you can search by that. And of course, it's Joan Summerfield from Israel, and I thank you so much, Joan. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening to Wedding Words of Wisdom today. I'm going to sign off. This is Wayne Gurnick from Moments by Wayne. Take care.